Welcome to The Wayne Nicholson Show, where our guests share their fascinating stories. If you have any questions or would like to DM us, we would love to hear from you. We also have a YouTube channel and a Facebook page. Mona Afshar is our podcast guest. Mona was born in Iran and later immigrated here to Australia. We actually shot this podcast four months ago, September 2022, and we decided not to release it then because of personal reasons, and I can totally understand why. We talked about the protest in Iran and how they started with the death of Masar Amini and just where the people can go from here. It's a brave thing what Mona's done uh, coming on the podcast, but I'm so glad she did because I actually learned a lot from this conversation. This episode is brought to you by Egypt Fun Tours. Now, I always said if Indiana Jones was to take a tour throughout Egypt, then Egypt Fun Tours would be the company he would book through. I can vouch personally having booked this company when traveling to Egypt in 2019. If you are looking for a professionally guided service which is knowledgeable, fun and sometimes off the beaten track, then you can't beat Egypt Fun Tours. You see, my wife and I went with the private tour which was personalized to our own interests and needs which you can do with Egypt Fun Tours. We traveled from the south visiting beautiful Abu Simbel right up to the magical Alexandria. We got to spend alone time, would you believe, in the King's Chamber of the Great Pyramid, as well as camping with the Bedouins in the White Desert. We learned how to read hieroglyphs and we visited the beautiful temples of Abydos and Dendera, which sometimes is not included on tours. So for more information on Egypt Fun Tours, check out their Facebook page, Egypt Fun Tours, or their website, EgyptFunTours.com. This episode is also brought to you by Delhi's Continental. From just one pop-up and one sandwich, their reputation spread quickly, selling out whatever they prepared in 20 minutes. Boasting their Continental rolls are the best in Australia with every ingredient fresh and made in-house. Now, within months, these two owners, Stead McCluder and Aldo Putsu, had already graced the pages of magazines, websites and newspapers. Rumours are now stirring that this could be big. If you are interested in what all the fuss is about, and you are lucky enough to live in Perth, Western Australia, why not head down to Delhi's Continental, number 2 861 Beaufort Street, Inglewood, with their grand opening set to be this summer 2021. For more information, you can check out their Instagram and Facebook page, Delhi's Continental. Mona Asha, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. Look, for those who don't know, I'm just wanting to talk about what is happening in your country today and what is concerning, but is there hope that comes from this? So can you give a bit of background um, on what is happening? Yeah, definitely. A 22-year-old Kurdish girl um, was traveling with her family, with her brother, to Tehran from Kurdistan and uh, she gets arrested by the so-called morality police who are in charge of arresting girls who they say they don't have a good hijab or their hair is out so she this girl regardless of how much they um you know uh begged the officers to let them go because uh, they didn't know anyone in the city and so they kicked her brother away and uh arrested her and they forced her into a van and they took her um for some islamic education 
classes and they said that they, she's going to go attend some courses to be able to learn how to have a better hijab and she ended up um, getting out of there uh, with an ambulance in an ambulance yeah yeah what I saw was horrific because I actually saw footage of um, Masa being put into the van she, yeah. they bashed her head against the the roof of the car yeah pushed her in the car some say she was beaten by the morality police, yeah. fell into a coma. Three days later, she died. Mm. However, what I'm going to say is this was about the hijab, but the hijab law has always has been in place since 1979. Correct. What is different about this? Well, I have to say that the fight uh, against the compulsory hijab in Iran is a 43-year yeah. fight. So after the 1979 revolution in Iran, women started protesting everywhere, saying that we do not want to have compulsory hijab. And um, the Islamic police started attacking them. They started throwing randomly acid to their faces. What? And yeah, and cutting their uh, faces with sharp razors and knives. And that is how they actually forced us, um, my parents' generation, because I wasn't born yet. So I was born like few three years after the revolution. Um, that is how they forced it on everybody because everybody was scared. Um, they didn't feel safe. And that is how it became a law. Um, it doesn't mean that people didn't, you know, demonstrate against it. And let's not forget that um, 1979 revolution, you know, the revolution was uh took away from us. Uh, nobody ever wanted to have an Islamic Republic. Yeah. Um, people wanted to have a parliament and have the king. They wanted to limit his power and his, you know, so he doesn't have much authority in the ruling of the country as a figure and a parliament to rule the country. And that's kind of where it all went um, Pear shape, basically. Yeah, because I heard a lot of people thought it was an Islamic revolution, but it didn't start that way. It wow. started, like you said, people wanted, I think, civil rights, a bit more civil rights, political freedoms, social freedoms, in a way where they were being fed by the Ayatollah, who was actually in France at the time. Like they were dropping tapes through Iran, sure. uh, saying the disparity between the rich and the poor. You know, it, what's sad is that if you look at 1977 Iran, it was a lot better than today's Iran. Yes. So even though the people were like, yeah, we could do more. You know, Iran has one of the richest oil deposits in the world. Uh, they were saying that uh, the king was uh, a puppet of the Americans and, you know, putting oil into, into Britain. But, you know, when you hear a lie, when you hear something so often, you start to go, hang on. Well, if we're making all this money, where are we seeing this? You know, what was sad about that was the people rose up. To, like you said, to get a little bit more, um, like we need a little bit more money coming down the chain uh, to us. Um, but what happened is it turned into after that, and I think it was the, am I right, by saying the Cinema Rex fire. Yes, uh, which was the Ayatollahs as well. Which, yes. Well, they blamed that first on the Shah's secret police. Okay. And at that stage, that was that is like the Masa Amani of the, at 1979. And then the people went, this is unfair. Like how are, 
how can they do this? So it was 400 people died at that stage. Yeah, that Molas did it. They did yes. it at a time. Yes. They closed, they shot the doors of the cinema. The sh yeah, the police were over the road. And no one did anything. Mm -hmm. And they blamed it on the Shah and the secret police. Yeah. But it came out apparently years later, a fundamentalist and an extremist, uh, um, uh, Islamic extremist, was the arson and was charged for that. So, so many people that believe that story. Of and so many people rose up with the wrong information, which in today's time, it's very hard to to do, um, even though the United States do it quite often. But um, today with social media, it's a very different time. It is a very different time. Yeah. The beauty of it, I think, that now everybody has access to the internet. Everybody has an account. Everybody can express themselves however they want to. Um, it is very difficult now, I think, for the governments to keep their citizens away from the truth or what is really going on out there in the world. So, which is which is what is helping us. Well, they tried. They yeah. turned off the internet. Well, yeah, but Elon Musk apparently is. I know. Us. Yeah, like it's the second time he's done that. He did that for Ukraine. Yeah, I mean the guy deserves a Nobel Peace Prize. He does. He does. He really. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I know he's turned on Starlink. Yeah. I don't know whether that is active yet. Uh, um, I don't know either. I don't know either, but I know that he's. He said that he's. Um, he, there was a comment um, on Twitter that he made that has been activated. So I don't know if he that meant oh, that okay. he uh, activated it or. Well, I think sorry, he I has know. activated, but whether it's taken place yet or not, yeah, in with the know. people there. Yeah, I don't know yet. The internet is a powerful source it in is. that way, and what is different about this time? Uh, because when I knew you were coming on. I didn't want to just go to the actual news and, and see from from uh, foreign nations, they're giving their version of what's happening. But what I did do is I went and I researched some of the prominent Iranian journalists around the world. And that was very interesting because they gave me a little bit of a background on the, the dynasty that came up and how the Ayatollah was very intelligent. You know, he was reading when other kids were playing and he was quite intelligent as Which a kid. Which I love you. Khomeini. The, Khomeini. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, did I say that wrong? Or <laughs> at my pronunciation? <laughs> I don't know about the intelligence, to be honest. He's pretty... Uh, somebody backed him up, I have to say, and they just rode... Uh, on, on a wave and uh, they brainwashed some kids and they they misused and abused the hope that maybe people who were poor at the time had for a better future because there are many speeches of the Ayatollah Khomeini that when you listen to because you know you you're not Iranian. You haven't you haven't seen so many of those clips. Yeah, sure. It's just amazing. I will show you after this. Okay. Uh, for example, one of the things that Khomeini sits and says in one of his speeches is that he's telling to all these other um, mullahs, you know, and his students and his followers, saying that he's saying be very careful and alert that the day that these people realize what is the truth inside of you and the difference between He's talking what about you're, himself yes <laughs> and what you're showing yeah you know 
uh, especially the poor people that you have built the you know pillars of this um, Islamic Republic of, yeah. they realize that who you really are inside that is the day that a huge you know revolution is going to happen and this opportunity that we have got now uh, in 1979 is going to be something that is and the never people fell for it yeah. mm. it's quite sad actually because people during a time of insecurity find security in what they know and that was the clergy and uh king raza shah like uh, muhammad raza shah am i saying that correctly yeah uh he didn't see the clergy as a threat he saw the Communist Party as a threat. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the Ayatollah helped overthrow that Communist Party because when communism takes over, there is a slight chance that religion then goes as well because yeah. party is first. Yeah. So I think because of that, I think the king thought the clergy would always be an ally against his worst enemies, not realizing that the most threatening enemy he had at the time What's was... There? The clergy. Yes. And they pushed it all towards the poor. They influenced the poor. They kept feeding this information of the disparity because all they saw was the, <laughs> the king eating caviar and flying to Paris. And, and you know, the one mistake I – this one journalist said, the one mistake is that he wanted to lead Iran into the future. However, he did things too fast. Things happened so quickly mm. that suddenly sky-rise buildings was happening in Tehran and being built and people were just feeling a little bit, hang on a second, yeah. you know, we're, are we losing ourselves yeah. in this, uh, he called it the white movement, like he, it wasn't white as in white people, but yeah. bringing in technology and nothing yeah. to do with the race, <clears throat> yeah. nothing to do with race. And yet uh, the people were, after a while, they were being, you know, American movies, American fashion. They just... He was so far ahead of... He was. Of and where was our... And they started to feel, hang on, are we losing our own culture within this? And I think uh, the Ayatollah took advantage of that. And then he started to push tapes through. And this one journalist was saying that it was during the hard moments of what was happening in Iran, the Ayatollah kept control and Mohammad Raza Shah lost a little bit of that control. He was a great king during peacetime. He wasn't a wartime king. And it was sad because even though he thought, you know, by having the people being prosperous, they would keep him in power. Yeah. And it was just sad how it all turned out. But like you said, they didn't really know what was inside. And when the revolution happened, I think it was March the 7th, first law implemented was the hijab. And women had to wear, all women had to wear the hijab, like you just said. But it wasn't like it is today, or it wasn't like it was last year or the year before. We're talking like Catholic nun, like just the face, because he believed that by showing any hair, it was the equivalent of being naked. So <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, but then within the first year, how many people got killed? for money like he was oh my gosh his he people murdered were murdered so, yeah. much, so many kids you know that um <clears throat> how they were killing um there was this one uh mullah that how he was killing he could he would come to the prison at night time and all these young kids i mean regardless of their ideologies or 
what side they were because they they were considered as the Ayatollahs and the Mullahs' enemies. So he would line them up and he would say, death by hanging, lifetime in prison, okay? Death, life, death, life, oh, death, really? life. And then when he gets to the very end of the line, because the last person who was he, who was standing, you know, leaning on this wall, like thinking, am I going to get death or am I going to get life, right? When he gets life, he just breathes like that. Out of relief. Oh, yeah. And then he sees that and then he goes, death, life life you know he starts from this side and then he gives him the death so i mean horrific around that time yeah um because i do know there was they said that because of those wars seven wars happened after that 40 million refugees left iran mm. over a period of time yeah how many millions died mm. within that period mm. and it was sad because I think then the people like, such as your parents and good friends of mine, they were there at that time, man, their parents were there at the time. They must have been thinking, what have we done? Yeah, I know. You know, the devil you know yeah. is better than the devil you don't. Yeah. For people that don't know and just judge Iran by what they see on the news, if you type in vacation traveling Iran, you'll often see that, especially coming from the American travelers, Iran is one of the best places for a few things. History but mainly the people. Yes. Do not judge Iran by the regime. Yes. The You're people there hosts. are the, 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 the best people, yeah. um, the most hospitable. Uh, they will invite you into their homes. And yet that generosity and the people that live there can be tainted and uh, be oppressed by an Islamic, um, you know, extremist regime like okay. Shia. Right? Yeah. yeah. Shia. Shia. Yeah. Now, getting back to what's happening now, the reason why the uh, protests started, mm -hmm. it's because of this new president, right? Right, is he? This, pro <clears throat> this current protest. Yeah. Going, no, it's because of the death of Masa Amini, uh, the girl that got I killed. know. Yeah. But before Masa Amini, yeah. they were protesting. Oh, you mean years ago? No. When? Um, what, what I learned was Rahisi was the president. He came into power last year in August. Yeah. This year in August, within 12 months, he implemented a new law. Yeah. And the law was, was he was going to fill the city with surveillance cameras. And the surveillance cameras was to pick up unveiled women or people, women that weren't veiled properly. Mandatory counselling. Okay. The women went, what? We are being, like, you know, the surveillance happening now. Then anyone to protest that law online in social media, prison. I think then the woman had enough. <laughs> um, they had enough. They started protesting. Women started cutting their hair then. No. No, no. There was a few women that started to protest against that law. Okay. I don't if, know about that because I saw only cutting their hair as a mourning for Masa, which is a like a tradition thing that the Kurdish women and some other, okay. I think, um, races okay. do. I don't, I'm not sure really about that, sorry. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but... Um, but Masa Amini, mm -hmm. when she died, that was 
when everything exploded? Everything exploded. There is a reason for that. Um, so many reasons for that, Wayne. It's not just about Mahsa Amini. I mean, uh, Mahsa That's Amini right. That's the, what I'm getting at. Yeah. Tipping point. She's the tipping point. Yes. Mm. So uh, not only she was the tipping point, but also because of how, uh, you know, she didn't have anybody in that city. Yeah. Um, and it was very brutal. And we have so many mothers that they have lost their kids. Their kids been murdered. I mean, if you look at from, from 1979, they started killing how I said, like lining up is one of the, one of many, they murdered so many, like there are mass graves in Tehran um, and other cities, the mass graves that they threw all these bodies on top of each other, right? And there's no grave, um, there's no stone on these grave sites. And so, yeah, so many people mass do. Graves. Yeah, mass graves. Um, what happened, I think like the, the, Things started like becoming more and more. Uh, the pressure started more and more um, from 1999 demonstrations, um, where um, we call it a queer Danishka, which so many um, students, university students, started demonstrating. And at the time, there was a, a newspaper that was closed. Um, they killed us, they raided, they raided to the student dorms that night and they just broke into their, uh, to their bedrooms. Um, they just, you know, attacked them with their machetes and knives and they started throwing them um, off the balconies by saying, Ya Zahra, this is for you. Ya Hussein, this is for you. Right. Um, so all these um, bodies were just dumped on top of each other. And some of them were dead. Some of them were, you know, almost dead. You know, their bodies were broken. Um, so um, since the 1999 demonstrations, um, the movement started. And what happened was that the government started playing a game of the bad and the worse for the for the people. How is that like they had a party that was a fanatic religious party and then there is another party that they're like, you know, they're more into letting people to be free or, you know, if this guy gets elected, you know, there's not going to be any morality police coming. Um, so people thought like they had to choose between these two and they always went for the uh, bad instead of the worst sure. because they thought like, okay, we can breathe a little bit more if this guy get elected. And that is how Khatami got um, elected in, twice in a row. And actually during Khatami, the queer Danishka happened. Like he was the president and that happened during his time. After that, you know, there were demonstrations here and there, but not as big as that. And I remember when I moved to Australia in 2009, it was election time again. It was um, between Ahmadinejad and I'm sure that everybody knows Ahmadinejad and uh, Mir Hossein Mousavi. Again, Ahmadinejad being this evil and mm. Mir Hossein Mousavi somebody, oh, he might be better, you know. So um, I remember we were having debates with my friends and I was like, don't go vote, sit at home, don't move. Yeah. And they were like, why? What's going to happen if we sit on us on our... But and do nothing, you know, and I was like, "Come on, guys, 
Gandhi sat on his butt and look what happened. Yeah. You know. Um, and is, is voting really going to make a difference or have they chosen what yeah, they want anyway? Exactly. It's like this President Raisi. I find it ironic that while this is happening in his country, he's at the UN talking about human rights when it came to the journalists, you know, the, the American journalist that was assassinated in Turkey. The problem is, is that he's on his way back from New York to run. And what do you think is different about these demonstrations to what previously has happened? Today, this recent, mm. women have been fighting for their freedom over 43 years. This is a, uh, in a very civilized way. So you tell me, cover your hair. I don't want to cover it. I want to express myself. You can't take that away from me. Do you think it's the younger generation today? Oh, definitely. Younger generation. Oh, they're so brave. That's what I think. I think the difference is today is because of social media, yeah. the internet. They're understanding how oppressed they are. Yeah. And I think today is a very different day because, one, the protests are led by women. Two, some influential, more influential people are coming on the protests now. And I just hope that they can be resolute and stick with it. Because like some of these journalists said, it's not like they, they haven't protested in the past. Like you said, this has been going now for 43 years. Yep. There has been protests in the past and women have protested. But what is different about this? What is different about this is that enough is enough. You have so many mothers who have lost their children. And these demonstrations are being led by women. So we are the leaders. Women out there are the leaders. Very strong, very brave. Very brave, very powerful. And men are doing a fantastic job. I have to say, I'm very proud of you. Well, they're standing with them on yes. the street. Yes, mm. but after so many years, we are very proud. Like, they're mm. amazing. So I think, you know, when you oppress people for so many years, it's only going to be a matter of time. Exactly. You know, and it, I'm hoping it's this generation. If it's not this generation, it'll be the next generation. And it's sad for the parents because the parents know they're going to lose a lot of, a lot of young kids, are going to, their lives are going to be lost. And there, one journalist said, who's in Iran now, there's a feeling of foreboding because they know that if this carries on, it's, it's going to be a threat to the regime because protests grow. It's exactly what happened in 1978, 1979. Yeah. You know, a few people protested, a few of them were shot. Next day, a thousand people. Next day, tens of thousands. Next day, there, it turned out nine million people oh, wow. came and overthrew the Shah. Yeah. Um, I just think it was a shame for the people. They were misled. Exactly. And suddenly they were in this, I mean, yep. it happened in Nazi Germany too, right? 80 yeah, million people exactly. followed this one guy yeah. and then after a while um, they suddenly realised what, what had yeah. happened. It was too late. Yeah. And it was too late. Exactly. There are speeches that Hitler gives to his uh, army saying that this, uh, you know, uh, we are going to rule for thousands of people. Uh, yeah, well, a thousand year Reich. Yeah. And it was hard because he was a very good, he was a very good um, talker. He was a very good at his speeches. Yeah. Um, and in fact, first few years, he did very well for the people. He brought them out of poverty, back into work. So the people trusted him a bit more. And you, the, the problem that I see, and it's not just with this extremist regime, the Islamic extremist regime in Iran, it's whenever 
a religion that takes power of a country, whether it be Christians back in the 14th century. Exactly. I love that you you know your history. Yeah, yeah I just find the minute you do that, mm. you are suppressing a popul- another part of the population instead of for all people. Exactly. And I think it's dangerous. And like I said, it was sad because when people were feeling insecure at that time, they turned to the clergy, which made them feel secure, not realizing that it wasn't going to be the the values in the Quran that was going to lead them. It was going to be an extreme version of that. And it's just so sad to see that happen to a people. And I just hope that Iran is an example. I mean, you got to remember, I come from a culture of, of Myanmar, who was oppressed by a a government that took over, an an army that took over. And the people there have been suffering for over 50 years. And this leads me to my next discussion. When a revolution happens, certain things are needed. Okay? So you've got this, uh, it's a very different time today as it was in 1979. And I'll tell you why. Because when you've got people that are rising up against a ruling party and a monarchy, the Muhammad Reza Shah. At the end of the day, he wanted to keep power, but at the end of the day, he thought, if the people don't want me here, I've got to flee. Exactly. That's not going to happen. With the mullahs. <laughs> because you're not fighting a government and you're not fighting people because what they see is a crime against the religion. Yes. So it's going to be a very hard fight because they're not going to flee. Can you really see the the President Raisi and the Ayatollah leaving the country in a plane? They won't. That is why we need the world to be our voice. You need, no, not just a voice. This is what I'm getting at. First of all, you need communication. Love you, Elon Musk, right? yeah, exactly. <laughs> for giving that. <laughs> Second, for a revolution to be successful, especially in this climate, you need to be armed. Otherwise, you're going to be like the people in Tiananmen Square of China. You're going to be like the people in Burma. And then the army will come in and they'll wait it out and suddenly they'll kill 500 to 1,000 people one week and then next minute they'll wait it out and next minute they'll come and eventually the people get tired and there's so much loss of life. And I'm against guns. I'm against armament and guns. But this this is one area I was thinking last night. I was thinking, you know, with the Americans having their Second Amendment, the Second Amendment was put in place to be able to overthrow an oppressive government and regime. So what has to happen here is a country has to help the Iranian people. Yes. Because one is they can buy their arms from Afghanistan, but they're poor. The average person that are protesting in the street, they're students that have degrees without work. There's no jobs. So how are they going to afford to buy weapons to arm themselves? Yeah. And and I'm not just talking about the Iranians here. I'm talking about revolutions as a whole, okay? Do you know Americans not going to help? And, and no matter what, like I was hearing some journalists talking about America's going to come to the aid. They're not. I can guarantee it they're not. Because in 1979 with uh, President Carter that went there, then they were – they had an enemy then to sort of go, Americans are behind this protest. You see, they'll shift the, the narrative. Americans are behind this protest. We have to get America out. And we have to. So suddenly they're going to reinforce that idea. So Americans won't come in. Do you know the one country I think 
should help Iran. And it's the most hated country by the Islamic regime of Iran. Israel. Israel. Because when the Shah was in, in from what I remembered reading in 1970, in the 70s, up until the revolution, the Middle East was pretty much at peace. There were skirmishes and little proxy wars, but the Shah was a friend of uh, of Israel. Yep. Everyone was benefiting. Yep. Everyone was, was okay. I think Israel need to look at that because their biggest threat is the regime in developing nuclear weapons and things like that. I'm not saying they should, because, <laughs> but I'm saying that if there was a country, I think Israel should be it. I think Israel should come in and help the people. Because if they do, then I, do, I, feel, I feel for the Iranian people now because it's just going to get worse. There's going to be a lot of, especially with this President Raisi coming back from New York, from the UN, and he's coming back there. They're all fearing because the last revolution, there were snipers on the roof picking off people. And even though I think, I don't know what the death toll is today, but yesterday was 50, could be more today, which it would be more. And I just feel sad because there's going to be a lot more loss of life. But honestly, if I was there, I'd be thinking, if we don't deal with this now, my kids were going to have to deal with it. Exactly. Now, what's worse, me giving up my life or witnessing the death of my children? I'm hoping the people stay resolute. The third thing that's needed in a revolution is a leader. If they're wanting to overthrow the regime, they need a leader to come into place. And what I heard, tell me if I'm wrong, what I heard was the Shah's wife, the queen, has actually said that she would like to come back to Iran, and that's got people very excited. Um, There was another football player. Ali Karimi. Yeah, he's got like 11.1 million followers and he's quite political and he's yeah. he's doing a lot. He's there. very brave. He's very brave. True hero. Yeah. So, you know, I'm hoping that these start to take place. But like it, like what happened in China, what happened in Burma, the, the government waited out. They'll kill a lot of people and they'll wait it out and kill until the, the, the people get tired. And then they start to go, what do we do? How much further can we go in this? And unfortunately, the hijab rule, it's, a, it's not just about the hijab rule, all right? But it's, the hijab rule is a pillar of that government. Of course. And it's a pillar of that say, government. I have to say, yeah, Masih um, uh, who is a journalist, um, and she moved also, um, she migrated out of Iran in 2009 and she started, I think first she went to UK if I'm not mistaken and then later she moved to New York. Um, she um, started a movement, um, I still see uh, freedom. So it was a, um, uh, she started a page, sorry, on Facebook, my still see freedom. Where, what's, the mo- what's the movement called? Um, I, d- the movement came after, but she 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 started a page called "My Still See Freedom," which the women uh, would um, send pictures of them without their hijab on, and you know the pic- the photo was taken from the back, so you could you couldn't see their faces, and they would show themselves being in, out there in nature on the street wherever, and they would uh, just upload that to that page. And uh, and then eventually it started growing and then it changed into um, uh, White Wednesdays 
again, it's nothing to do with a sure, race. Sure. Um, and um, so, so that was on a Wednesday. Um, brave Iranian girls would go on the streets and they take. Wow, their when was this? Um, um, well, it all started from 2009, slowly okay. and gradually. So from 2009, girls been involved in this movement, um, slowly taking their hijab and scarf off uh, on the streets and sending their videos or pictures to her and she's posting. So she started um, talking about the compulsory hijab. She, she was Actually, I think I know this woman now. Yes. I definitely. I think her. I know this woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Continue. Yeah, mm. um, she has curly hair. She's yeah. gorgeous. She's beautiful. She has a, a flower on on her hair. Um, um, yeah. So um, she, she is actually one of our heroines. So you know, she's a true hero as well. Uh, she became the voice of the voiceless, and then the girls inside Iran got so brave that they started thinking like hey i i i am my own you know hero i am the leader so they started leading the movement wow. themselves you know she was empowering she did definitely yeah. empower women and i think that's she's one of those people that's um, it just it frustrates me so much when i mean specifically women are being oppressed by a religious order when it's not part, really part it should look religious freedoms should be if a woman wants to wear the hijab she can if she doesn't she shouldn't have to exactly express yourself no one's saying stop no one is saying stop practicing what you believe as a religion exactly. religious freedoms that's what i'm saying and they'd probably find that people will become more submissive if they were left to their own devices well, to do that, that is exactly what we're saying as well nobody wants to take anybody's religion or beliefs from them you know, you have your own beliefs. I have mine. That's right. You want to express yourself. You want to wear your hijab, your chador. That's exactly right. Exactly how it was at the, during the king's time. How right? it is in the rest of the world. Yeah. In Turkey, look at it like. Yeah. You know, you can yeah. express yourself. You can cover yourself if you want to. You can put your hair out if you want to. Yeah. Nobody's hurting anybody else. But, you know, I have heard at the same time that, like when they spoke to Rahisi about what's happening, he said that he's not going to give up on this law because he's afraid that if he backs off on this hijab, on the law, then next is gay rights for the gay community in Iran. <laughs> of course. <laughs> then uh, the next one is, then all of it, that's what they're afraid of, you see? Um, they, and I don't think, that's what they say, Wayne. Oh, really? But <laughs> I doubt that is what they're afraid of, okay? Why? Because they're afraid that they're going to be losing their authority and and the power they have, which they yeah. have already, right? That they're like this. So it's not so much of a religious thing. Gone. Yeah. yeah, you can no longer tell me to cover my hair, right? Um, uh, and Masi Ali Nejad made that so clear from the beginning when she started this movement. Many people laughed at her, saying that, oh, hijabis are not our first priority. Like, what are you talking about? It's we have symbol. so many issues mm -hmm. about, you know, our, our economies going down, you know, and the, we have so many issues, you know, with our neighbors, this and that. Why are you talking about hijab? Like, this is child play. Come on. You know, they started laughing at her, uh, but she kept on going and she was right. 
Egypt was very, very, yeah, very yeah. right. Look well, at look the at Talib, the look Talib on what is they, what did they do in Afghanistan? First thing they did, yeah. they covered the women. Yeah, and then they um, stopped them from being educated and things like that. But, you know, a lot of people, um, it's funny because the women in Iran, compared to other some of the other nations like Saudi Arabia and stuff, there are women that are cab drivers and that can be in parliament and things like that. So they, but I'm glad, I'm so glad that they're standing up for this. I just hope that they're resolute with this yeah. and push this forward and keep and, and putting their foot down because we all know the power of the people, right? If yeah. people can all stand up and I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping a country like Israel, can you imagine a company like a country like Israel come to the aid of the Iranian people? That'd be so good. And if there can be peace between those two nations again, which everyone said there's no way, but it's because of the regime of Iran and their threats against Israel. So, no Iranian has any issues with I know. any other country, I know. any other you know citizens of any other country. Uh, the only thing is, the only thing we say is that stop making any deals with this uh, fascist, brutal regime because it's not just going to. They're not going to just um, be satisfied murdering us. It's going to eventually get to the rest of the world. Mm. I mean, imagine if they had no nuclear power. Well, that's what they, everyone was afraid of, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, when you were there, uh, how old were you when you left? Oh, my gosh, just talking about age now, mate. You didn't tell me you're going to ask me this question. <laughs> no, but we. I can't. I'm not saying how long you're here for. I'm just saying how long. I already how, said in 2009. <laughs> yes, but we don't know how old you are now. No, but you were old enough in Iran to understand. So you weren't a young kid. You were a teenager, right? Uh, when I left. In your when, 20s. When I came yeah. to Australia. Yeah. Uh, in your was, 20s. I was 26 and a half. Right. So yeah. you were not brought up a Muslim in Iran? Us? No. Yeah. Okay, so no. Um, the thing is that the lifestyle inside the house is so different outside. For the majority, for many, I mean, for all of my friends, that's why. Sure, I sure. Can't, I can't talk for all people, but uh, where I grew up and with the friends that I had, uh, the lifestyle is so different. So your parents tell you about what was it like before the revolution yeah. and what is it now and why we can do this at home and why we cannot talk about it outside sure, so sure. Uh, you grow up um you 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 have to basically grow up faster than what you should like a part of our childhood um i mean our childhood is um, my childhood was stolen by this regime you know, in my use, yeah. and I'm not the only one. <laughs> like, this is for so, so many people. I mean, imagine um, I'm seven years old. I'm getting ready. It's it's the first day that I'm going to school. And um, I have to have that compulsory hijab on my head to be able to go to school and study, right? You're scared because you know that when you go to school, there is a chance that you cannot... Uh, trust you cannot trust your teacher because there's a chance that she might be a secret agent sure and that actually was true what about the kids that were not muslim would there be a little bit of ostracism against them because they were not practicing islam yeah of course uh depending on what um uh, religion 
they had like so um, as you know there are so many refugees here especially in western australia that they're um they're baha'is they killed so many baha'is yeah um they i mean like about a couple of months ago they destroyed um houses of some of the baha'is uh, in iran again i've got friends that are baha'i that are too afraid to talk on this show because they still have family there yeah i know and uh, and I just see it, you know. I had a mother and, and daughter coming on and then they changed their mind. And look, I totally understand that. I don't think I could if I had family there. And Baha'is were still being prosecuted. Yeah. And it's just a sad, sad story. But I also know people like you and some um, people that are not Baha'i that still escaped the regime after the 79 revolution. Yeah. Funny enough. After yeah. that revolution, when things started to get bad, they left. Yeah. And they went to Germany and from Germany they came through. But everybody has a similar story and everybody will talk about the beauty of what Iran was. And I think today there is that little glimmer of hope, right? Iran can be free country again. Exactly. And all the Iranians around the world, including the Baha'is, be sitting there going, if only, because I'd definitely visit, I'd definitely go back and visit Iran. And, and then the people around the world can go back and suddenly see the beauty of that place and the culture of, of the Persian culture. I, you know, I often think, why did they change the name to Iran? Persia just sounds so exotic. I know. <laughs> it does, doesn't we it? We should go and have some demonstration to turn it back to Persia. Well, can you imagine? Oh. Can you imagine? Because because uh, <laughs> it was, wasn't it, um, was it the Reza Shah, the, the first king that yeah. changed the name? yeah. Yeah, that's what happened. And I'm like, oh, Persia was such a cool name. I know. It had such history. And I saw online that he did this demonstration to commemorate the Persian Empire. Mm. And they went to Persepolis and they brought in all the people on the horses again. And and I was such a, like, I'm learning about the Persian history at the moment. Yes. My, my wife's studying that at university. Yeah. I've always wanted to go. And I'm I'm thinking that not just me, I think a lot of people will be sitting here going, Everyone on the internet that I, I looked at, all the journalists, they pray that they could come back to a free country. And we're hoping, one girl said, look, it's going to be very hard. The journey's just starting. That's why the people there have to be resolute because the killing really hasn't started right properly. And they, they're not fighting a government. They're fighting an ideology, and that's very hard. But they can do it. They can do it if they stick to it and then hopefully a government around the world gives them help yep. and they start promoting, I think they can. Um, but it's a very sad thing because what's happening in a civil war, in a, in, a, in a revolution like this, it's not good for both sides. Think about it, both sides. The, the outcome can be a positive outcome. But whenever there's things like this, there's just loss of lives. There's going to be a loss of life and it's not just the decision makers at the top. It'll be the guys that are following the orders too. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you look at some of the footage, I mean, I was watching one of the videos and I told my friend, um, you know, I was looking at people throwing rocks at these um, offices and I was like, I could see the back of the offices and I was like, are the kids, like, the way that they move, look, man, like, the way that they're moving is, like, as if yeah. they're young kids, like, young children. And then two days later, the, the, a lot of footage started coming and they were using teenage boys as well, 
you know. Um, like Russia is now in Ukraine. I mean, it's sad, I mean, isn't it? Oh my gosh, did you see? Yeah. yeah. So, do you you still got a lot of friends there? I do, I do. Do you have any contact with them? Um, of course. That must be heartbreaking, okay? It is. It is. Mm. It is very heartbreaking. It is. Um. It is very hard to be worried about your friends. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've still got a lot of family in Burma. So whenever that was happening there, we'd always write to them or ring them. And they learned through a VPN. They would get VPN so it couldn't be censored by the government. And and they were saying, no, we're safe. We're okay. You know, and next minute I'd see them on the front line of a protest and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> but, you know, the younger generation, I think that's the difference. I think the difference today is that. It's like the people, majority of the people that are royalists, from England, are the older generation. Speak to a lot of the younger generation. Now that Queen Elizabeth's gone, who was the last real great monarch, do people really want Charles III in? Oh, I don't know. I don't know either. I think the family, that family, she was just constantly putting out fires. The Queen was, it was like a bucket with holes and she's putting <laughs> a finger in <laughs> And just like, what more can happen to this family of mine? And I think the people are sort of went, oh, we really, you know. And this winter coming up is going to be a very hard time because Russia's, I think, going to pull the gas. People are going to go cold, they're going to starve and, and they're going to go hungry and inflation's going to hit and, and then a protest and another thing. And the first, I think the first thing they'll look at is the monarchy. It happened in France, the French Revolution. It happened in the Russian Revolution. And, you know, if I was a monarch, mona, mona <laughs> if I had to live in opulence, I'd do it behind closed doors <laughs> because it's like the Shah, right? Every time you see him, he's eating like caviar and 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 things like that. But in in Marie Antoinette back in the in the French Revolution, she was travelling around in gold carriages and people were starving, people on the street starving, lining yeah. up for bread. And as a person, how could you? Yeah. Yes, she did a lot for the people, but when you just flaunt it in the face of poverty, she ended up getting beheaded along oh, with her she husband. She said something when she heard that why those riots and demonstrations. She said something like, um, <laughs> "If they can't have rights, give them something else." There was something I don't remember. But when they were asking to flee the country, yeah, and it's a question I've got for you: when they asking to flee the country, she wanted the royal carriages and they said no, we're trying to flee the country <laughs> yeah. and right. sure enough they ended up getting caught um when the shah fled, fled the country i heard stories that he took like seven four sevens full of gold is that correct um i i don't know i don't know i know that i did go the last one that i was in iran it was in 2014 i went um and we went to the to a museum and uh, we saw the jewelry, so all, all, all the, you know, whatever gold that was in the pictures and the photos, their, right. you know, crowns, everything was there, you know. So I went and saw that um, uh, up close. Um, I, I don't know, definitely maybe they had something personal mm. they took with them. Um, there was always rumors they might have. I don't know, you know. Mm. Um so I can't say that if that is true or not, but um, <clears throat> but yeah, they did. You know, if that. only this regime just listened to the people, keep the religion, you want to practice Islam, practice, give religious freedoms to the people, 
It was. If they, yeah. Not from 1979 onwards, not. Oh, 1970. Oh, the, the, yeah, the I'm Mullahs. talking about the oh, Mullahs, yeah, right? Of course, yeah. But if only they listened to the people. Yeah. They could have their cake and eat it too. Yeah. They're a rich country. Give the people um, religious freedoms. Give them the um, equal rights in order to, I know, it's like, you talk to an Iranian person, it's like, no, it's never going to happen. Oh, I'm just it's saying. It's never going to happen. I mean, bye. <laughs> but I'm like, if only they thought that way. Yeah. They could stay in power and have a happy population. These guys have one book. Like Turkey. They don't right. read any other book. Yeah. You get it? Like, they don't read any other book. I mean, if you read some of the books, in addition, uh, horrifying things is set there. There's a lot of pedophilia in there. Really? Really, seriously. Like Ayatollah Khomeini's book, if you read it, he just talks about having intercourses with children in his books. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. So one way is to push forward and have an, a new government? Of course. A new, a new system of rule? Yeah, look, like this pedophilia is something that is so embedded in really. You don't hear that. Regime. You don't hear that. There no. was this. Um, there was this um, Quran teacher. What was his name? I just hate him so much that I just forgot his name. Anyway, so he. <laughs> you either hate someone so much you remember their name, yeah, or you uh, don't hate him enough to just, remember his name. I right? know. I mean, <laughs> come on, I have to make some phone calls. What was his his, <laughs> his name? Um, so he's, um, he's one of these guys that goes, you know, um, very, um, famous in, uh, the, uh, basically that region for how he reads Quran apparently. And he was a Quran teacher. He read more than 16 boys in the showers, um, after he's, uh, has that been proven? Yes, of course. There oh is God. voices of him that he he's been um, you know um, apologizing to the children uh, to, you know, to, to the parents of these kids because they grew up and they were with this shame and with this uh, guilt and with this sadness and these kids they were they had religious parents that they trusted this man to yeah. be as a holy God man, it's a right so they just realized that actually this guy raped their sons so um there were some court cases it was on the news everywhere really and this dude is Rubble. very close to Ayatollah Khamenei and he, he he's very close to him it's so nobody could touch him basically. it's so disturbing um, you hear that coming, I mean, God, it's the first time hearing that it's not coming from a Catholic priest, that it's happening in some other country within another clergy. It's just horrible we're hearing about things like that. So, yeah, I think, look, I think hopefully this is the generation that goes enough's enough and I'm hoping they come through and push through because I think what I said before, they've got to think if it's not them, it's going to be their children. Exactly. And if it's not their children, it's going to be their children. So... It's going to happen. And in any oppressive uh, country, when the people get pushed so much, it's only a matter of time that they turn around and go, enough's enough. Yeah. And you think they would have learned their lesson. 
because that's exactly what happened when they came into power in 1979. So you think that they would have learned their lesson and go, right, we can't make those mistakes. But yet since 1979, people have obviously been unhappy with the way that's gone. And it's sad to see Iran today. And then you look back in 1977 before everything happened. And you've got, I mean, those that are listening to the podcast now, go and type in Iran before the revolution. You see women in miniskirts and, and, and people had jobs. And yes, it was growing so fast uh, that people didn't have time to breathe and they got a bit worried. But I'm sure that they would give their left hand to have that day back, those days back, than, rather than what it is today. People are giving their lives. Yeah. I mean, this generation that is fighting the regime today on the streets, in the streets, they never saw before 1979. They've heard about it. They've seen some pictures and images of it. Yeah. They've seen the classic films, you know, yeah. classic movies. But... Uh, there is also TikTok, there is also Instagram, there is also internet. Well, it's the voice of the people, right? Yes. Mm. So they see other side of the world as well yeah. and they have enough. They so have enough. so what is your hope, Anna, from today? My hope from today is awareness. Please help. Um, please help the Iranian people. Mm. <laughs> I don't know, but... At least I will know that um, my people are happy and free. Um, sorry. Um, well, you're doing what you can, right? And I will definitely go back to help. Mm. Who knows? Maybe I move back. Mm. You never know. I think that would be a lot of people. That would be a lot yeah. of people. I think, you know, there's there's home and then there's places you make your home can never replace home. Yeah. Uh, and it's not necessarily the culture you're brought up in. It's like Perth was always be my home. And as a kid, I would always want to move elsewhere. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to move here. I'm going to move there. But, but the more I traveled and the older I got, whenever I came back to Perth, I would just be like, there'd be this relaxation of, and it's not just that Perth moves super slow. <laughs> yeah. It was an internal feeling of of peace. This is home. This is where my roots are. Not cultural roots, but it where's where I became a boy and became a man. And this is where I was. And I can understand that for people as well. Uh, the, the thought that you could have a free society where people had um, political, religious, social freedoms that... Who wouldn't want to go back to a beautiful country with a culture like that? So I think we're all having our fingers crossed here. We're all keeping a close eye. And, you know, it was tragic what happened to Masa Amini. But I'm sure she's looking down going, you know, you did what you did to me. This is what's going to happen now. Yeah. And I think uh, people are feeling for that. And God, you know, she's 22 years old. Such a loss of life yeah. for no reason at all. And that's not counting the 50 to 60 people that have lost their lives since. Um, I just take my hat off to the people there and all our love goes towards them. And if we can do anything we can to help that, um, because I'm a massive fan of Persian history, of Iranian history, and I'd love to go to Persepolis and see Cyrus the Great's mausoleum. And, and I, think, um, I think a lot of people would uh, and it would prosper again. But like anything, bad can only go for so long. And then 
people will take the power again. So let's hope, hey? Touch wood. Yes. Thank okay. you so much, Wayne. Love and you, I'm Mona. sure, love you too. And I'm sure today that you step foot in that free country, you don't need to go to any hotels booking in there. You know, the, the home of many Iranians is open for you. Yeah. Hope you're listening. <laughs> yeah, with good food. <laughs> okay, thanks, Mona. Thanks for coming up. Thank you.